I brought this out because this is going to be a very explosive message. No, I didn't. I brought this out because I want to ask you what it is. Pretty straightforward, right? But let's just say that you're living a thousand years ago or 1,500 years ago or 2,000 years ago. Would you look at this and know what it is? You would have no idea what this is, right? You wouldn't know what it was used for. You wouldn't know, uh, you know where it came from. And you would look at it and you'd go, maybe it's a, something I can beat nutshells open with or maybe it's something I can prop a door open with or use as a weight. But I wouldn't think of it as being, unless I got clever and pulled the trigger and then found, you know, the foam coming out. You know, in the same way, we as human beings have to determine, because one of the things that we really need in life is we need to know who we are, why we exist, and what our purpose is. And ultimately, you have to have a reference point to that. Now, we have a reference point to this. We kind of know why this was made, what its purpose was, and we've you know, seen it used. Maybe we've used it ourselves you know, in, a, in a situation. But in a sense, our own lives, we, and hopefully our family and our, and our upbringing kind of helps to bring some ideas of who we are and why we exist and what our purpose is and where we're going and all that stuff. And, and that's really important. And, I, and I, what I want to say to you, and the ultimate thing I want to say to you this weekend is this, that there is someone in the universe, the one who is above and beyond the universe, the one who made the universe, the one who made you in His image, who placed you into His universe, in this, on this earth, in this world, at this time, and He is the only one that can give your life purpose and meaning and direction and everything you're looking for. He is the only one that can do it. Now, there are people that say, I don't believe that, Pastor Matt. I believe we live in a random universe. I believe that, uh, that uh, life has no real meaning, that we're just a product of, uh, we're just a part of the evolutionary process, that even our thoughts and our feelings are nothing more than chemical reactions. And uh, so the next time, instead of saying, I love you to your spouse or to your kids or to your parents or to somebody you love. Instead, say, right now I'm having a chemical reaction towards you. And see if they get the same you know, response. Um, and the next time that your wife looks at you and says, do you love me? And says, well, I kind of haven't had a chemical reaction in a long time or something. <laughs> okay, but most people on this planet need their lives to make sense. They need to have a reference point for their lives they need to know kind of where they fit and why what their purpose is uh, we need a reason to get out of bed in the morning that's such an important thing so the whole point of the book of exodus and this is what we're looking at we're looking at the book of exodus the whole point of the book of exodus was god was bringing his people out of slavery but he wasn't just leading them into the promised land he was leading them out of slavery into worship well, that's pretty important It's pretty important because he wasn't just leading them out of slavery to freedom, in a sense, so they could be free to do whatever they wanted, which is the American dream, but to lead them into worship. And here's my point. I want you to see that when we worship, when we connect with our Creator, our Father, and our Deliverer, we find life. Now, what I want to do is 
Because some people say, well, you know, I think that the Old Testament and the New Testament are different books, different gods, different ideas. I don't believe that. So what I'm going to try to show you is there's one theme, a couple of major themes that go through from cover to cover. And I want to show you one of those themes uh, this weekend. So uh, let me just walk you through, and I think in your notes it says five scenes. So scene number one is in the garden, okay? So God created this perfect planet. He placed man and woman in this garden. We call it the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect place for Adam and Eve to connect with their Creator. He created a perfect place for perfect people to connect with Him. Uh, Men and women, women, uh, Adam and Eve, were made in the image of God. They are image bearers. And they chose to sin. You've heard the story. They chose to sin and God cast them out of the garden. And He does something as He casts them out of the garden. And this is the first passage we want to look at. It's uh, Genesis chapter 3. So the Lord God banished him, man, Adam, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So God casts him out of the garden. He places an angel to keep them from coming back into the garden. And the idea there is they are no longer able, they are no longer welcome to be in the presence of God. Because up to that point, they were able to walk with God, be in the presence of God. That was why God created the garden. He didn't have to. God wasn't lonely. He didn't create man because he was lonely. He created man so that he could share his life, his fellowship with others. So in a sense, uh, man chose not to do that. So placing the guards was uh, meant that mankind could no longer dwell with God and enjoy His glory. They were cast out of the garden. So God makes a statement. He puts an angel there with a sword. Uh, and that represented that there is, a, there is an, a broken relationship now between mankind and God. No longer are they dwelling together. Okay, that's scene one. Now let's go to scene two. This is going to kind of tie into where we've been at this series. Uh, Exodus. So this is in the wilderness. So the first place was in the garden. The second place is in the wilderness. So in the book of Exodus, we have been looking at how God rescued His people, how He brought them out of uh, Egypt, and He's leading them into the wilderness. But the point of the book of Exodus was to lead His people out of slavery into worship. The whole point of the book of Exodus was for God to communicate to his people who he was, who they were, how they fit into his world, and uh, where, you know, basically giving purpose and meaning to their lives and, and leading them to worship. Now, here's the detailed uh, instructions that uh, Moses uh, was given. So we're in Exodus chapter 40. So this is like the last part of the book of Exodus where we see the tabernacle the tabernacle, just think of it as a tent. You're going to get some ideas of what that is. But let's look at it. This is the detailed construction, uh, detailed instructions on the construction uh, of the tabernacle. He took the tab. This is, um, excuse me, Exodus chapter 40, verse 20. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached to the poles uh, to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the covenant law. 
as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of the meeting in front of the curtain and uh, burned fragrant uh, incense on it as the Lord commanded. Then he put the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. He set the altar of the burnt offering near the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And he offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting and approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up a courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar uh, and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So Moses puts the Ark of the Covenant. If you've seen any of the Indiana Jones movies, uh, you know the Ark of the Covenant. It was a little box and uh, was covered by the mercy seat. It was a piece of (coughs) furniture. It was in the deepest, deepest, most central part of the tabernacle. Uh, which is called, and this was a tent within a tent, and it was called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies. Outside of the Holy of Holies was the, the holy place. Uh, that was where he put the bread. He put the uh, menorah candle lampstand. You know, the lampstand, you see the menorah candle, the lampstand was there. Outside the holy place the other uh, was the o- other outer court, where the altar for the burnt offerings uh, and the basin for the washing was put. So God was opening a way up to his presence. Now, as I read through that, so I just got done reading through all that, some of you checked out. Some of you go, man, I get it. You know, it's like you, gotta, you got this and you got this and you got this. It just seems like we got to go through a lot of hoops now, right? Exactly. That's the point. You see, Adam and Eve were walking with God in the garden. Now, they can't come. You can't just walk into God's presence. You have to go and you have to bring a lamb. You have to bring a sacrifice to the altar. And the priests offer the sacrifice. You don't get to go in. You don't get to go into the Holy of Holies. Only the priest goes in the Holy of Holies. Only on the Day of Atonement. And that's in the the most holy. you you, You can't go into that place. It is barred. There's a curtain. In other words, the point is there's curtain after curtain. There's thing after thing. There's the altar, the basin, the lampstand, the banner, uh, the barrier between the people and God. Barrier after barrier. Why? Because God was holy and the people are sinners. And if they, if they moved their sinfulness into the presence of God, they would be destroyed. That's the point. God would dwell with his people once again, but this time it wasn't going to be face to face to face. This time there would be a process, barriers, a procedure. A priest would go before the people and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. So God's presence was limited. That's the point. Things have changed. So the message of the tabernacle was this. There's a way of getting back. There's a way of getting to the very presence of God. Uh, there's a way that, of actually experiencing the very glory of God. But there's barriers upon barriers upon barriers. 
God is not doing this. So the main point of the book of Exodus was that God was leading his people out of slavery into worship. And, and this is the first time since the garden where God is dwelling with his people. But it's a different kind of dwelling. It's a barrier dwelling. It's just one barrier after another barrier after another barrier. And you, it's like you can't get in to see him. All right, let's move to scene three. This is a theme that you're going to see all through Scripture. God with us. God with his people. So we start with the garden. God with Adam and Eve, mankind, perfect place for perfect people. They sin. They're cast out. Now God is, 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 is in the tabernacle, in the middle of the camp. He's dwelling, but there's barriers now. Then we come to scene three. And scene three is the incarnation. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. This is uh, the beginning of the text that we generally read around Christmas. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So they begin in the garden with God dwelling with man. We go to the tabernacle and then later to the temple. We didn't get into the temple. But the temple was just a permanent tabernacle. That's all it really was. Same thing happened, but it was a permanent temple, a permanent thing. So now we come to a place where God has come from heaven to earth as a baby to dwell with us. Why? So John makes a striking statement in John chapter 1, verse 14. And you will not understand this unless you understand what I just said about the tabernacle. You will not understand this, what Jesus is saying. John is saying about Jesus, know what he says? He says in John chapter 1, verse 14, you might want to write that down. The word, the word is meaning Jesus. John is saying Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That phrase, made his dwelling, it, it's the same word of tabernacle. He tabernacled with us. He tabernacled. Now, what did it say about when the tabernacle, when they, when they began to do, the, the, when God fell on the tabernacle? It was filled with his what? Glory. Moses couldn't go in. It was his glory was all over the, the holy place, right? Now, notice what John says. Let me read that again to you, John 1.14. The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us, tabernacle among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You see what's going on here. Now, God is dwelling with us again. So, so heaven came to earth again through Jesus Christ. Um, the point you want, I want you to see is that God wants to dwell with us. Our lives were made to connect with our Creator and God provided, and this is Jesus, the only way back. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the point. Dwelling with God 
comes through Christ now, right? So, it's interesting because one of the things that happened to Jesus is one day he's walking by. Well, he's doing some things. He's, he's saying things and he's doing things. And they basically say, well, what authority? You know, who died and made you boss, right? And this is what Jesus says. This is John chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove uh, your authority to do all of this? In other words, you have to have some authority. You can't just do this. And Jesus answered. What did he say? He, he was walking by the temple or must have been near the temple that day. And he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Remember, the tabernacle became the temple. What was the temple? It was the very presence of God was in the temple. And the Holy of Holies in the mercy seat, Right? And so Jesus says, destroy this temple and it would be, it will be, it will be, I will raise it up on the third day, right? Okay. The temple's the presence of God. Jesus is saying the temple's going to be destroyed. Now, in other places, he says the temple he's talking about with his, was himself, you know. But then it's interesting because you remember when they brought charges against Jesus? Remember they had the trials, the mock trials, and they finally, they couldn't find, you know, like they kind of fought, brought false witnesses and all that. And so finally they go, this is how they got him. This is what this, this is the charges, the actual charges that they brought against Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 59. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Though many false witnesses came forward, finally two came forward and declared, notice what they declare. This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Isn't that interesting? That the charge that Jesus was crucified for was that he claimed that he could destroy, he was going to destroy kind of a terrorist thing, he was going to destroy the temple. But Jesus, by his life, death, and resurrection, fulfilled the purpose of the tabernacle, the temple, the whole sacrificial system. In a way, he destroyed it. That's what the point was. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the sacrificial system. He became the ultimate lamb. He became the lampstand. He became the laborer. He became the mercy seat. He became all of that. He became the high priest. In other words, he fulfilled everything that the law required. The barrier that was between us and between God, Jesus destroyed it. He tore it down by his death and his resurrection. Let's go a little further. We'll see that. So scene number four. Scene number one in the garden. Scene number two in the wilderness. Scene number three, the incarnation. Scene number four, the cross. Notice what it says. So on the cross, Jesus is... He's bridging the, the abyss. There's, there's always been this abyss. Since the garden, since Genesis chapter 3, when, when Adam and Eve walked with God, before they were banished, there now has been an abyss between heaven and earth. There's been this barrier between God. Even the tabernacle. You couldn't go in and see God, right? You, the tabernacle and the, tab, uh, the, the temple, later on the temple... You had to go through, like, the, you could be in this court, but not in this court. And the further you got in, the, the less, the more restrictions there were. And only the high priest could go in once a year. 
And so Jesus says, that temple system, that whole system is going to be destroyed by me. So we come to the cross, and Jesus is uh, coming from heaven to earth. He's bridging the gap. He's providing the only way back to God. And this is what, look look at uh, Matthew, write this down. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and when he cried out again, in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. So the, the, the thing that restricted us into access into the presence of God was torn from top to bottom. What was, what was being stated there? That now we again have access into the presence of God, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Just like God tried to provide some, some limited access in the book of Exodus through the tabernacle, through the temple. Now Jesus has, has lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He's become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now we who call upon the Lord can come into the presence of God because the temples, now the curtain that separated us from God, the cosmic temple, the cosmic separation now has been broken. And we can come into the very presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the last words that he said was, it is finished. What was he saying? What he was really saying is now it's really finished. It's really over. The temple is destroyed forever. I have built the real tabernacle. The real... Because what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was a path to God. It was a way to get to God. And Jesus says, I've destroyed that. Now people will come through me to the Father. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I build the real tabernacle, the real pathway, greater than the one that Moses did. So when the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, it was like God was saying, yeah, tear the temple. We, we, we won't need that anymore. We're not going to need that curtain anymore. Throw it away. <laughs> Come right into the presence of God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, access to God opened up to all who call upon his name. And the writer of Hebrews gets this, and that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Look at, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not, ha- we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then notice what the writer says. He says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Folks, we have access into the very presence of God. Something that Adam and Eve had, we have that now. He says, you have that. You can come boldly to the throne of grace, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, not because you've done anything to gain it, You can do it because Jesus gained it, did it, deserved it for you. He provided the path. All right, do you see the theme now? The whole theme of the Bible began with God creating a perfect place for people to dwell with him. Man sinned. They were cast out of the garden. So God chooses a people and he brings them out of Egypt not to set them free like America so you can do whatever you want but free to worship because when we worship we find ourselves. We find our purpose. We find our meaning. We find why we were created and as we connect with our creator and we find our purpose we then live our lives in accordance with what his will is which is the best will we could live for 
And so, we, but, but the, here's the thing. In, in the book of Exodus, God leads them out of slavery into worship, but they don't get it. And so the, the, the tabernacle is hands off because there's barrier after barrier after barrier after barrier, which leads to the temple, still have the barrier, and that got perverted. Jesus had issues with the temple in his day. And then finally, Jesus basically says, this temple is going to be no more. I am going to fulfill everything that the temple is doing right now. Let me give you one more scene, scene five. Because this is the way this is the way the story ends. <laughs> the new heaven and the new earth. This is Revelation chapter 21. Notice what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now what is the loud voice saying? It's what I've been saying since I began this weekend. This is what it says. Look, God's dwelling place is now among His people. And He will dwell with them They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. That's how the story ends. That we are with God. That we are with our Creator. That we are connected with our Creator. That we are are in fellowship with God. The fellowship that was broken in the garden. The fellowship that God tried to have throughout the the whole Bible now has been fulfilled because Jesus came and established, reestablished that fellowship back with God. He says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. So the whole story of the Bible is that God is seeking to dwell with His people. And at the end of the story, God is with us, dwelling with us. Now here's our problem. We don't want to dwell with Him. We, God wants to dwell with us, but we don't want to dwell with God. I mean, that's, that's Adam and Eve. What was the lie? You know, God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you'll be just like God. You won't need Him anymore. You don't need to be with Him anymore. We're just like Adam and Eve. We're just like the nation of Israel. We want to be free. We want to do our own thing. You see, many people see worship as slavery. But until you connect with your Creator, you are a slave. And until you give your life to Jesus, you're living as a slave. Jesus knew that. And this, this is what Jesus says to our culture that says freedom is that you do whatever you want, that you don't have anything, connections, any tie-downs. And, you know, I'm concerned about it. I, I just think that our society has gone so far over to that freedom, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I think there's too many broken families. There's too many kids that are saying, where's my mom, where's my dad? I think there's too many broken relationships and marriages where people just said, oh, I just don't want to be, I don't, just don't want to keep a commitment anymore. And, 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 and they think, I've now found freedom. And I just want to tell you that if you love somebody, I'm going to say it. People want to be loved. 
and people want to love. But here's the thing, that if you want to be loved and you want to love, you're going to be a slave. You have to be. Because when you love somebody or you're going, you want to be loved by somebody, there's going to have to be give and take. You're going to have to give up some things. If you want to be in a relationship with another person and you want them to love you and you want to love them, you're going to have to make sacrifices for them and they're going to have to make sacrifices for you. And the reason that marriages break up and relationships break up is because people say, I'm done sacrificing. And there's a whole bunch of things that go into it, but essentially that's what it comes down to. And the deeper you go in a relationship, the more you have to sacrifice. You have kids. You know, I, I look at a couple and they get married and I say, oh, that's good, you're free, you know, relatively, right? You've made a commitment to one another. You can say, hey, I'm going to go work out. Okay, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do that. But the minute you have little Johnny, you are no longer free. Because little Johnny can't take care of himself when he's one years old, right? Little Johnny needs mom or dad to stick around with him because little Johnny gets in, you know, if he's four or five, he gets in more trouble. If you love little Johnny, you realize, I have to give up my freedom to love him. Love, we all talk about, we want to be loved and we want to love, but we don't want the, free, we don't want the slavery, the commitment that goes with it. And, and the deeper you go in a relationship, the more you have to make a commitment to that relationship. And the reason people are feeling unloved and, and not in loving relationships is because they're not willing to submit to anyone else or anything else. And, and they, they love things. And in a sense, when we love our Creator, when we submit to the one who placed us in this world and says, this is why I created you. This is your purpose. You're my masterpiece. Give your life to me, and as you give your life to me, you'll find your life. The more you give your life to me, the more you'll find your life. That's, that's when, I, when I discuss that with some people, they, they look at me like, are you crazy? But let's, let's be honest. The best relationship that you have on this planet right now, if it's a human relationship, you've made sacrifices for that relationship. And you don't regret it. This is what Jesus says. Very truly I tell you everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son, we can add daughter, belongs to it forever. So if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. But there's a whole bunch of people on this planet that don't believe that. There's Christians, I think, that don't believe that. That as they give their life to Jesus, they will find freedom. They like the forgiveness of sins. They like the promise of heaven. But they don't like the idea of giving their life to Jesus. Because they believe that's going to bring slavery. And I'm just saying, any good relationship brings a certain amount of slavery. And I'm using slavery in a positive sense. Call, call it commitment, call it whatever you want. But any good relationship requires commitment. And the deeper you go in a relationship, the more committed you have to be. Here's the point. When we connect with our Creator, when we submit to our Savior, we find our purpose, we find meaning, 
for life. We find life. We find true freedom. But the world looks at it like giving your life to Jesus is giving up. It's slavery. It's giving up all the fun. But if you understand Christianity, if you understand Jesus, you'll see that Jesus is the tabernacle. He's the temple. Look at how he is. Jesus is the labor. What was the labor used? The labor was used by the priest to wash his hands. What is Jesus? Jesus is the, the labor. So when you come to Jesus, you're clean. You're washed in him. He's the priest. What was the purpose of the priest? To go between us and God. Right? To bring the sacrifice. He's the priest. So now, because Jesus is the priest, you're accepted, by, you're accepted through the priest, through Jesus. He's the sacrifice. Jesus, John said, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when you give your life to Jesus, His sacrifice becomes your sacrifice. And you're completely pardoned. You're completely forgiven. You're complete in Jesus. He is everything. Which means He is saying to us, Stop! It is finished were the last words. And it means what he was saying is stop. Stop trying to be the laborer. Stop trying to be your own priest. Stop trying to bring your own sacrifice. You're completely pardoned in him. See, the whole story of the Bible is God dwelling with us. That's the message of Christmas and we're coming to. God is going to dwell with us. But how did that work out? Nobody wanted to be with him. I mean, in his, in his time of need, everybody left him, except his mom and a few friends. I want to close with reading a quote. What I, essentially, what I'm trying to communicate this, this weekend is this. That until we find our purpose, until we know why we were made and what we were made for, until we understand who our Creator is, we really can't live our lives the way they were intended them to be lived. We can't find purpose. We can't find meaning. We can't find all those things. But as we connect with our Creator, as we call upon our Savior, we find true freedom. We've, we find that He's made a, an incredible commitment to us. He went to the cross. He became a slave for us by going to the cross. He chose to do it. Nobody put Him there. He chose to go there for us. But he gave up his freedom. I mean, this is God on the cross. They nailed God to the cross. For you and for me, do you get it? God humbled himself to be crucified by his own creation. John says that he came into his own, but his own did not receive him. They crucified him. But then John goes on to say, but as many as received him, he gave the power to become the sons and daughters of God. Here's C.S. Lewis. Our lifelong longing to be reunited with somebody in the universe from which we feel, now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no more neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. The sense that in this universe we are strangers longing to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality. And that chasm has been 
jumped across by Jesus Christ. The longing of our hearts is a longing for our Creator. The longing of our hearts is a longing to be forgiven. The longing of our hearts is to be able to walk with God, to be with God, to be with our Creator. And Jesus has provided that. Do you know Him? The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be forgiven, shall have relationship, have access into the presence of God. That's the message of the Bible from beginning to end. It begins there and it ends there. In a new heaven and a new earth where God says, now I will dwell with my people. Do you belong to him? I hope so. Let me lead you in prayer. So Father, help us. Help us to understand that you want to dwell with us and you've provided a path through your son, Jesus Christ, and that he willingly paid the price and became the tabernacle and the, the temple and he provided the way back to you. Father, help us to not look for a purpose and meaning in freedom. Help us not to go out and discover it for ourselves. Help us not to allow other people to define what our freedom is, but help us to look to our Creator, our Savior, our Father. And as Jesus says, to find freedom, true freedom. Father, if there's anyone here listening or in one of the campuses and they have yet to cross that line of faith, I pray that they would speak to Mark or to me or someone this weekend maybe a Christian friend, and find out how John says, you can know that you have eternal life, that you can have the very presence of God, not in the future, but today. Thank you, Father, for bringing a, a, providing a way back to you through Jesus. We give you praise and honor and thanks. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.